Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with Michelle Hoff. And Michelle is a fantastic CMO overseeing the team at User Testing. Now, they have seen amazing growth in the last couple of years since she's joined. She came in when they were doing about 50 million in revenue, and now they're over 100 million in revenue. That's a huge jump. I mean, we hear about doubling in revenue sometimes, but not always doubling from 50 to 100 in such a short time span. So, you know, she comes comes in with great perspective though. She's gone to work with companies like Salesforce and Oracle, which are all about growth and all about going into areas that are booming markets. But as she says today, user testing is in a market that's really being developed. There's a lot of category creation work to be done and educating on an idea that's not necessarily revolutionary, but the way in which they make it possible to execute actually is. It got me jealous, I'm not gonna lie. When she started talking about the ways that you can talk to customers, I questioned some of the strategies that we've used at Uberflip ourselves, even in the last six months. So today's podcast is gonna be great. It's gonna challenge you on how you engage with your buyers, how you get their perspective, how you build that in to build a category even, or just how to go to market in a more effective way. This is a great episode. You're gonna love Michelle. Here's our chat. Hey, Michelle, thank you so much for finding time to chat with us today about your journey. Let's start on the career side. You are the CMO of a very cool company called User Testing. How did you land this opportunity? Yeah, so uh, I actually, I've been working with my current CEO off and on for about 15 years. And so what was great about the user testing opportunity is that when he was searching for different opportunities, I, I was lucky enough to be part of the uh, the crew that he was asking feedback around. So I, I took a look at the the market, um, also spoke to the founder and at user testing, they were looking for, was really such an amazing solution. And the founder had, they'd grown the company from zero to 50 million. And they were really looking for an executive team to help scale it. And, and we've crossed the hundred million mark now, which is awesome. And wow. they were looking for not only a CEO, but they were they were actually looking for a CMO and a CRO at the same time. And so um, it was fantastic because I also now get to work with my former CRO that I, I used to work with. So it was, it was a, a fun kind of opportunity. So I want to I understand better how that comes to be, this idea of staying together almost like a family or a team, depending on how you look at it, uh, for various different companies. And, and you know, how do you arrange that from time to time? Because I think a lot of people aspire to, to follow people who leave, but they don't know what the right etiquette is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's funny. I don't know if, if through my journey, I've always specifically originally had that conversation. But I, I know specifically after this last one, just the there are a few of us, who really enjoyed working with each other. And, and it was kind of like, hey, if we ever had this opportunity again, like, let's do it. And so there was definitely, you know, when you let people know that you enjoy, you know, whatever, you're, you're tackling problems together, it's, it's great. I mean, for, for, sec, for this one, 
it's an interesting perspective I feel like I've had of, of understanding boards um, and even like the role of CMO because normally they're looking for their next leaders. Either it's one person to be added or sometimes it's multiple. So there's oftentimes the people like, oh, the, they're, they're needing someone to really change the product strategy. So they're looking for a whole product team or they built something amazing and now they're, they're really trying to take the go-to-market to a different scale. So they'll, they'll oftentimes find multiple people in that mix. And if you're the CEO or, or you know, sometimes you're bringing into marketing, like you have to build the whole function. And if you have to do that so quick, right? Like having people who you know, just it helps you accelerate. You know, but the interesting part is I remember being really early in my career and having these feelings like, oh, you know, they're bringing all these people in from the same company. And it, it's now interesting kind of being on the other side of it. What did you learn from that in, in your career? I mean, for people you know, who don't know you, you've had some amazing stops at companies that are really well known for scale and for product and, and the way they structure their go-to-market. But I'm sure at Oracle, I'm sure at Salesforce, there has been times where a whole new crew is coming in. Uh, you know, Benioff's got a new plan, you know, changing course, uh, different needs within different business units. What have you been able to look back and say, I want to do it differently or the same? Communication is always really big. I mean, what's what's so interesting is, yeah, through, throughout my career, there's all these changes, right? And, and I think at Salesforce, when I joined, um, the company had, you know, started its roots coming out of SMB and had started doing some things in enterprise. It was really, I mean, like their next lever of growth was going in an enterprise. And that's actually when Keith Block and all the ex-people from Oracle were, were kind of coming in. I'd already been there for, I think, about a year. So it was it was interesting to kind of watch cultures of companies and new leaders kind of come in. So I've always had this sometimes being the person, you know, who's, who's being brought in or sometimes just observing it happening. And, you know, at user testing, what made everything really nice is the you know, the founders talked about why they brought in and why they were looking for a combination of people who've worked together, you know, the faster that we can hit the ground running, um, all these different types of things. And so it was a very warm reception. Also, it was because it was everyone's trying to grow and everyone was wanting to see more growth and they were all excited. It's like, oh, yay. You know, I think the founders said they, he's always wanted to have like a marketing and sales that work well together and oh yay found a pair that actually know how to work well together Absolutely. um you know kind of a fun dynamic but I the myth comes true <laughs> I, I'm just curious though that I mean you talk about the excitement of people coming in you know but you also said you remember being in that position with some skepticism at the same time and I think you know in a lot of organizations what we see is the incumbent team you know, not the the C level, but those who are making things happen on that team, they kind of, you know, will will give people a year, right? They'll say, okay, great, I'll I'll see how this works and see if I'm embraced or not. How have you managed to embrace your team or make changes to your team coming in and thinking about going beyond that 50 million revenue mark? I mean, it's hard. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever done a perfect job at it. So I'm sure um, along the way, I've definitely learned lessons. I mean, I think at user testing, what was nice, we were so little that it was more building out a team versus, you know, different experiences where you come in and you have to change out a lot. And, and I think every time there's a new leader, there's kind of on both sides, right? Like the leader's trying to, to drive an organization into a new path, right? They have a vision. 
and there's usually they're evaluating the team, you know, for skill sets and gaps and different parts. And then also, you know, the people who are working for this new leader are also evaluating, do I like the change where this is headed? Can I work for this person? And so I think what makes it sometimes hard is people sometimes opt out on both sides, right? Like either the person's like, I don't want to work for this person. And they either want to switch to different teams or they leave the company or the boss makes changes and, and changes the team. And so it's hard because I think as a, if you don't know what's going on within the team dynamics. It's so easy to be an employee and then watching it and thinking this new leader comes in and all these people are leaving and like, that's not good. It's, you know, I, I do feel like communication is important, especially if you have multiple people coming from one place. It's so easy because you, you have an instant rapport. I think what you have to be really cognizant about is try not to make other people feel left out, right? Because then Absolutely. you can like form clicks and things and people feeling like, oh, I wasn't a part of that original crew or, and I think that's where all the emotions can kind of come in and Again, I feel like it's it's continual continual learning curve, things you learn along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. So we, we've been talking a lot about the impact on the team, the impact on everyone there. How do you evaluate what's best for you in your career? Uh, you know, if, if you look at your career, again, amazing companies and, and relatively long tenures, you've made some good calls for yourself. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't be sticking around. You know, but when it came to this C-level jump, what have you done differently at user testing, you know, with all the success you've seen? I mean, I'm doing the math. You said 50 million to 100 million. You've barely been there two years. You know, th- you made the right call this time for sure. Was there anything different between, you know, your first time finding a CMO role to how you evaluated what's right for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. I was talking to someone a while back um, who was kind of wanting a mentor call and and she was evaluating you know, do you go after the market and opportunity or do you go with the people? And, and that's always kind of been an interesting struggle in her mind. And, you know, for me, I don't know if I ever had it like always an intent. I, I, um, I think I was lucky because I do like working with people like culture matters to me and who I work for matters to me. I've always evaluated that because I've realized over the, I mean, these jobs, right? You don't always work a nine to five. And so you're spending a huge part of your life focused on the company, working with people, people who you work with matter to me. And, and, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's the, depending on what level you're like, your immediate group matters as well as like the whole company culture part matters. And so I've I've always prioritized that. And I think I've learned the more um, I've done this too. And then I think just being a marketer, I have a deep appreciation for market dynamics. And so when you're in a category or you're creating one and you really think the solution, you know, that people love and, and you're solving a real problem, I, I feel like, and it's got legs, that that makes a huge difference, right? Because as your leader, I think it was my head of sales once, like your, one of your jobs as being a leader is picking the right place like picking the right thing to focus on because people do want to work with you and for you. And so it's, you're, you're trying to make sure you find the right place to go because a lot of people want to be there for a while and they want to see the growth and they all want to be working on something and, and have an impact. And so, you know, I think versus sometimes um, there's different categories of leaders. Some of people like turnarounds, right? They love kind of coming in and companies heading in the wrong direction and they do a turnaround. And I think those are really, really hard. 
you know, versus I think sometimes people come in more startup, you know, executive teams um, when you're building everything versus I think scale up and I've, um, or like enterprise and I, I've worked at actually all the different sizes of companies. You know, I, I do really love this scale up size. It's it's the perfect size. Yeah, like- I mean, people can't see you as I can right now, but there's excitement in you when you talk about this. And and I'm sure as you're as you're hitting on, that's the contagious part. That's the part that that people buy in and they stick around for, and they want to work together in the future around. So this is definitely something that sounds exciting. I want to go a little bit deeper on this, but we'll take a quick break here. I want to understand a little bit more about the category building that you're doing and, and how you get user feedback to actually do that right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. Michelle makes such an important point for us as leaders. When we look at our teams, it's very easy to assume that everyone feels equally bought in or equally embraced by you as a leader. It's something that we all do, you know, whether we have kids who are our favorites or whether we have team members who are our favorites, we go to them with more projects. And I think there's an opportunity for all of us to reflect and take a look and say, have we pushed certain of our employees to step up? You know, it's very natural for us to go to someone because their work is maybe the most pressing in your organization right now. But as you come into a new gig, make sure you take a look at who's there and who's ready to step up. Who can you push that next level? And in the same way, when you bring new people in, are you putting everyone at an equal standing for where they start and how that team continues to evolve? Doing this allows you to build a better, more cohesive team in the long run. So Michelle, you were just hitting before the break on this idea of building a category and a little bit more greenfield than maybe you've experienced at Oracle and Salesforce. Not to say that they're not breaking into new areas all the time. What has that experience been like for you? And, and tell us a little bit about the category you're trying to build. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting with my very first company um, that I had a long time ago, I don't know if you remember back in the late 90s, when people built websites, the whole idea of web content management and enterprise, all those things were really new. So those were all building these new categories um, versus right, Oracle, Salesforce, a lot of the solutions I'd been in since then um, had been existing solutions. And I'm back to now user testing, kind of creating a new category. And what's so different about them is with the buyers, if it's an existing category, there's budget, right? Because it's people know what it is. There's usually a magic quadrant. There's budget set aside. And so the whole point is you're trying to differentiate like why you and why now. 
Um, I think for new categories, you're really trying to to go in there and abandon. It's much more of an evangelistic sale because you're trying to convince people of doing something in a whole different way. And then you're, you're either finding nearby problems to solve and, and opening their eyes. And so um, at user testing, uh, what's been you know interesting about this solution is we've really built out um, a solution plus like a double-sided marketplace. So we have this panel, we give you access to a ton of people. You know, if you can imagine when you're building products, when you're designing experiences, when you're building a brand, testing out messaging, you're always wanting to learn from the customer. What are the customer's problems? What are their reactions? How do they think about something? And there's all these questions about like, what objections do they have? And, and being able to talk to people or actually see what they're going through as they're going through this experience is so eye-opening for people. So uh, it's, it's one of those things where using our solution, you can ask a question and then using the software, you can pick who do you want to talk to? And then specifically, what do you want them to do? I want them to, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods customer. I want them to uh, go and use our curbside pickup and tell me what that experience looks like and what they like and what they don't. And then someone can go and, and you watch them go through that whole experience. And then they usually think out loud, oh, this really sucks. Or I'm right. really confused. I'm trying to do this and it doesn't work. Or, oh, this, this is really nice. I'm, I was pleasantly surprised. So you, you're watching people and it's this eye-opening experience for developers, for product teams, for marketers. And so this ability to get feedback so quickly is really this changing moment. Um, the, the challenge I, I think a lot of us as marketers have is we think of what you're describing as old school focus groups, right? And to do a focus group was a whole process, right? First, you had to go through the whole, you know, question setting, and then you had to get the focus group sourced, and then you had to wait weeks to get the feedback on the focus group because you weren't often there. You were sitting behind the glass. I remember doing That's these totally. back in the day. My less you know software world experience as a marketer and they were eventually great but sometimes by that point you were you were already executing on your theory yes right and other so for example we, we actually just did our commercial spots um it was awesome i mean the turnaround times of marketers they were like okay so nine o'clock i want you to give us feedback by the end of day at five <laughs> you know and we're like, we have a little more time how about midnight you know, and so you've got a few hours and the idea of like doing a focus group, like you just, you would never, and like those are for the big meaty strategic kind of projects. What's really kind of been eye-opening for people is we usually, 80% of the tests are usually filled within two hours. And so you get information, you're trying to get feedback on something and you just run the test and usually you go get your coffee and you start seeing the videos pop in and you're, you're getting feedback. And so we were watching people react to our commercial spots and like and being able to make tweaks along the way through through everything and so you know we use it in marketing a ton customers use it for me but it, it's it, it's really changed the dynamic because normally you might sit in a room right like what do you think and you're asking other marketers you're asking other people you're asking your family um, but that that's not your buyer or your user or your customer and so but you ask other people's opinions because they matter right you're trying to get another perspective and so this has really kind of changed that whole dynamic. We got like focus groups, people use it for UX design. There's the, what's kind of awesome about it is that everyone needs feedback. Everyone wants to talk to customers. It's global. 
crosses all industries. Little small companies are trying to find product market fit, but no one wants to talk to them, right? And so they can right. find product market fit. And huge companies want to talk to their customers too. So it's, it's been pretty awesome. I'm curious. I, I mean, we're, we're recording this amid a pandemic. Uh, and, and I think one of the things in speaking to CMOs on a weekly basis on this podcast alone is everyone's had to change their go-to-market. And a lot of us are doing it, shooting from the hip. You know, this is how I think people will use our product in this new world, as much as I hate that term. Uh, new normal. Has this accelerated your business? You know, are, are you positioning around the realities of people having to make these changes and being able to test around it? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it definitely has because there's, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of companies where they used to get feedback in very in-person ways. And so they've now turned to us because everything's remote. You can basically have these one-on-one -on -one calls or you can just do it and get all these videos back. And so it's, it's richer than, you know, like survey feedback. People have used this now in new ways because as mentioned, you know, market dynamics happen all the time. Buyers are always changing what they do. What's so interesting, I think, about this year is almost every industry was impacted because everyone at the same time, the consumer buying behavior has completely changed, right? And so we're all feeling at the same time, we've been kind of making sure that we're showing, we had all these templates um, pre-built for people to understand COVID buying behaviors. Um, we had for social justice kind of buying behavior. People were trying to understand what people were thinking. So we created a lot of templates for them. And so people have been testing out curbside pickup, um, virtual online experiences, doctor appointments, and using the, the new tools. So if you can imagine almost every new experience that suddenly people are having to create and the timelines that people are having, they're like, we have to change. Like our, our business model depends on it. So people have been designing these experiences and like, you've got one week, <laughs> you've got five days, right? Like, and so they're getting all this feedback as they're iterating quickly. And it's, it's pretty cool. So one last area that I'm curious about, you hit on this earlier when we when we started this segment was the role of analysts. And I think for a lot of us, you know, if we're if we're in a disruptive industry or disruptive new category, as we said, we struggle to figure out what is the role of an analyst today. And and I'm curious your take without, you know, frustrating or pissing off any of the analysts that I'm sure are trying to win over at the same time in the long run here. What is your view on the role of analysts right now? And how does some of this ability to get actual buyer sentiment maybe displace the need for an analyst? Because a lot of times we go to the analyst to understand what our buyers care about. Yeah. So like the industry analyst, um, I don't know if I ever think about um, it's a replacement. I mean, what I think it's actually a helpful part. So normally the healthy relationships that I've seen with, with analysts is they they have exposure to all these um, buyers, decision makers, right? And they hear what their concerns are. And it's a great way for them to share with, you know, the vendors, like what they're seeing. What's nice is they love learning, right? And so if you can share with them everything that you're seeing in your market and your dynamic, it's like a great kind of uh, relationship. So they're like, oh, I didn't realize that you're seeing this type of trend. And so this, it's kind of can be this, this, um, nice way of building it. And and they, they help you like, oh, you should check out this other vendor, this other industry. I could really see. So I, I feel like that part, um, you don't displace. Um, 
but it is hard when you're creating new categories because, you know, I think that's where G2 came in and, and because they can create like these smaller categories where you don't have a big analyst firm focused on them yet. Have you moved in on G2 yourself? I and mean, we, we at Uberflip have a, you know, I, I love their CMO. Ryan's a great guy too, but, uh, but in general, it, it feels like an easier place for us to build a category. Totally. I'd say that um, it's, it's easier, right? Because they're able to get all the crowd, right? To actually provide feedback on this category and they can really show all the vendors in the spot and, and they're doing it so quickly and iterating so quickly versus um, some of the other analysts. And so it, it evolves, right? You almost see the evolution of the different markets and the categories change really quick. And that might be really hard for the larger analyst firms to, to really manage. And so I think it's great over time if you can have both, to be honest. It's, it, but it's usually, I think, a sign of how mature the market is over time is, is having Absolutely. a larger analyst start covering it and focusing on it. Especially the customer base is so different too, right? Because the Gartners of the world, usually it's more the enterprise versus, right? If you're a small business, you might not care what Gartner thinks. You care more about like what G2 thinks or vice versa. So. Yeah, they do a good job on G2. It's segmenting by size of business who's evaluating. So it's so it's almost another view of, of customer voice, which is really what we're talking about here exactly. in general. Uh, Michelle, this has been great. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be back for one little quick segment to get to know how you escape from work amid all of this, you know, ability to get quick turnaround. Sometimes we need a quick break. Uh, we'll do that. And we'll be back with Michelle Huff. How many of us always say something like, we've got to listen to the buyer, or we've got to keep the buyer in mind as we map out this journey? Yet how many of us actually speak to our buyers, speak to our customers? I mean, for me, doing this podcast is a great way for me to talk to buyers, talk to CMOs. Sometimes they're our customers, sometimes they're not. But too often, we kind of outsource this mindset. You know, even myself, I'll admit, and I hit on this in the podcast and chatting with Michelle today, you know, we went and we did a market intelligence research study and we outsourced it. We had someone else go talk to our customers because it felt overwhelming to do so. This is an opportunity as you hear about this shift, this ability to go and engage with customers in new ways, to do so at scale and to do so quickly and be able to audit some of those sentiments that are coming back. I think there's a huge shift going on in the market of ways to better listen to our customer. Another company I'm a big fan of right now, you know, we had Udi speak, who's the CMO over at Gong recently, all about being able to listen in to what your customer says. And I think this is something that CMOs need to do. They need to make sure that it's part of the entire organization, not just your product marketers, but the entire organization needs to start to listen to our customers. I got to do this this past year when we did our customer advisory board because it was virtual. All of a sudden we had recordings of our customers talking. We were able to share clips of that with our team. It gives perspective and allows all of us to start to actually build a buyer journey that works for our buyer. Hey, Michelle. So we have unpacked your career and it's been highlighted with some great companies, some great people, as you said, along the way. How do you escape those people, though, when you follow them everywhere and you sometimes just need to be 
yourself, with family? How do you set those right barriers for, for your, your own life? Yeah, so I, I have a four-year-old little boy and a nine-year-old girl. You know, I think escaping is being with my family. So I do try to be really great about making sure at the end of the day I'm, you know, it, I, I'm present. So we have the no cell phone rule at the table. I think it's so easy to try to be multitasking, but I do try to just be present. So, you know, I'm present at work. And then when I'm at home, I'm present at home. And so I can really spend that time with the, the kids and the family. Gotcha. And I assume, yeah, the pandemic we spoke about earlier has made, you know, less travel, I would assume. <laughs> uh, I assume you were doing a little bit of travel in the, in the type of companies you were with. You know, how, how have you found a way to, you know, disconnect when, you know, it's easier to be connected sometimes because we're always on? Totally. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is I work um, while the company's headquartered in San Francisco. I'm based in Seattle. So I've actually always worked, uh, especially here at, at home and then traveled a lot. So I've learned over the years how to balance that. So it hasn't been as hard, I think, in the pandemic. It was cute. My, my son the other day is like, Mama, kind of like the pandemic. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> You're home all the time, Mommy. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like, what is so different is I don't travel as much. Um, and so, you know, I, I do now we try to carve out some time uh, where we have someone come and like hubby and I can actually just have some time with just the two of us. Uh, that's been a little harder. We try to do that. And I'm a big fan of yoga as well. It, it, I think it just trains your brain on how to let go, right? Because you have to find all these moments to just let go of the the pose, you know, and, and I think just the more your brain does that, the more it, it's easier for you to just disconnect from work because it versus dwelling. Cause I used to years ago, wake up at three o'clock in the morning, like mulling over stuff in my brain and stress myself out. And I think the yoga has really helped just learn, like, if I don't want to think about it, just make it go away. <laughs> That's great advice. This, this whole episode has been filled with great nuggets and I think everyone tuning in, has really enjoyed. Michelle, I can't thank you enough. If, if you've tuned into this for the first time on our podcast, check out every week we're chatting with a different CMO, different perspectives, different journeys. I hope one day you get to share yours on this podcast or amongst your peers. Until next time, thank you to everyone and especially Michelle for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.